someone's personal experience is not like research. Like just because you experienced something, like you lost weight doing something or you ate something and it made you feel a certain way, does not mean that you could like generalize it to everyone else. Welcome to Halfway, the podcast where guests and I meet halfway to have respectful and engaging discussions on gender-related topics. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Sarah Golem Hassan. I hope you're all doing well and are ready to delve into today's episode. Today's episode is all about diet culture, looking more specifically at how it impacts women. I really wanted to make this episode because the cultures around eating, especially in the Western world, have become really influenced by fat phobia and the attribution of our worth to our looks. This encourages weight loss rather than health promotion, and it highlights how women are pressured to look quote unquote good, regardless of what our actual health status is. I feel like this topic is really important because although men can experience body dissatisfaction, research shows that women's experiences of body dissatisfaction are often more common, more severe, and more closely related with their feelings of self-worth. With this episode, I really want to help listeners break free from society's unfair beauty standards, which trick you into believing that your health is determined by your body shape. And to help us achieve this, we have an amazing guest with us today, Eleni Agresta. She is a registered dietitian with a weight-inclusive approach who is going to help debunk some food myths and advise us on some healthy eating habits. So thank you, Eleni, for being with us today. I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Currently, the cultural norms around food emphasize thinness, control, and restriction whilst encouraging exercise. It also labels certain foods as either good or bad and promotes weight loss as a way of reaching like a higher moral status. And studies show that this plays a significant role in people's body dissatisfaction. In line with this, I feel like the diet culture side of social media really reflects this in that it has so much advice on weight loss from recommending detox teas to countless diets like the keto diet, intermittent fasting, Mm -hmm. and so many more. Um, So what do you think about these strategies for weight loss? Well, as As an anti-diet dietitian, I am definitely not in support of any of these diets. And, you know, unfortunately, there is a lot, there are a lot of people out there who gain a lot of traction on social media very easily. And they grow this huge platform where people believe that they are like an expert in the field. And so if they're doing a certain workout or if they're doing a certain diet, people want to emulate that. So they'll try to like copy what they're doing so things like like what I eat in a day videos are very harmful like I report them as being like eating disorders on Instagram because people don't realize that you have a lot of young impressionable women or girls on social media and there are studies that show that there has been a huge increase in disordered eating and eating disorders and orthorexia in teenage girls because of social media, because if you see an influencer who just may genetically be a thin person showing what they're eating in a day, and then you have like a young girl who's maybe struggling with body image or feeling like she has to lose weight or she just doesn't look like 
you know, that person, then they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do what she does. And then I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to look like her. And that correlation that society has placed on like, what we eat determines what we look like is very dangerous. And it's very inaccurate, because we could literally all eat the same exact things and look completely differently. Um, In terms of like specific diets, there are dietitians and people out there who support the use of certain diets, and they utilize results from like research. So there may be good research studies that show that short-term weight loss is achieved from following certain diets. But what about five years after those diets? What about 10 years after those diets? We know that the number one predictor of weight gain in women who start diets is them falling off like the wagon or whatever, you know, you want to call it, and then just going to the next diet and then the next diet. And so it's this constant yo-yo dieting effect that it has. So whether it's keto or Atkins or Whole30 or whatever you want to call it, it's all the same concept. You're following a specific rigid meal plan or even like counting macros or counting calories. You're imposing certain restrictions on your intake. And I don't want people to confuse me criticizing diets with being like anti-health because you could, you could, eat in a calorie deficit cookies all day and lose weight. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, let's say like, you know, you're following macros and the macros are saying you should be eating like whatever X amount of carbs or X amount of calories. You can fit that in with just eating cookies all day and you'll lose weight. But does that mean that you're healthy? No, you need like a bunch of other things, you know, like protein and micronutrients and things like that. And so the way that society like idolizes weight loss and you even see, I saw a post where like there was like a magazine that was put out like very recently and they're like saying you know losing 30 pounds in a month and all this other crazy stuff and it's just so normalized that people just are immune to it they don't even realize how like messed up this type of stuff really is and how dangerous it is and how unhealthy it is yeah for sure something that really put that in perspective for me with those quick weight loss hacks is that nutrition science teacher of mine was saying that to her clients um, in the clinical setting when they come to her asking for like weight loss advice um, she always tells them like if it took you like let's say 30 years to gain all this weight there's no way that you can lose it in like a year or like six months and things like that so that's just something that really put things into perspective for me as to like how many lies were being told from these weight loss hacks and that's such a good point and then you have like influencers or celebrities posting these you know, flat tummy tea, you know, the Kardashians are notorious for it, which it's literally just like a laxative diuretic thing, which is a form of bulimia. You know, bulimia isn't just vomiting out your food. It could be used through laxatives, like through compulsory usage of them. So, you know, people have to reframe especially women have to reframe their understanding of like what health is and know that it's not tied to a specific like weight or BMI or like what you look like. In line with that, like what are your thoughts on how diet culture treats being thin as the same as being healthy? Yeah, it's very frustrating because you can be thin and be like extremely unhealthy. So if you think of someone that you know in your life who's like in a thin body and they eat so 
like what you perceive to be as like so much food and you're like, oh, they just have a fast metabolism and all they're eating is like fast food and pizza and donuts and cookies and this and that. No one's hounding them saying, oh my God, you're so unhealthy. But if someone in a larger size body is doing that, then it's like the food police are out there and they're saying you're so unhealthy, but it's like, it's the same exact thing. And so what I explained to people is that when I was working um, in like, uh, I was working in a physician's office. So it was like an outpatient setting. So the way that I would see clients was that they would their folders would be put on the desk that I was sitting at and I would like review them before they would come in. So obviously if it was the first time I was meeting someone, I would only see like what their diagnosis was. Mm. I wouldn't know what they weighed or anything like that because I would weigh them there. This was when I was promoting weight loss because that's like what diet culture has taught us we're supposed to do. And so if I see someone who is a newly diagnosed type 2 diabetic, I have a certain medical nutrition therapy recommendations. When that person walks in, whether they're underweight overweight or normal weight, my recommendations are going to be the same thing because people in smaller bodies develop type two diabetes and it has nothing to do with their weight. So my recommendations did not, would not change from a thin person to a, like a larger size person. So I like to explain that to people to put it into perspective, like from a clinical standpoint, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, and so it takes a long time for us to kind of reframe that understanding because it's so ingrained in us like gaining weight is bad bigger is bad big is unhealthy losing weight and looking skinnier is healthy and that obsession in itself is just not healthy for our mental health because some people are not meant to be you know a size two or a size four or you know whatever it is it's like we were all made differently and so some of us are larger than others and it's just how it is and forcing yourself to shrink your body to maintain a certain size or certain weight is just forcing your body to do something that's not natural for it. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. Do you have like any other crazy diet that you've heard of that you would really like to call out? Intermittent fasting is definitely one of the annoying ones. I think Gwyneth Paltrow, she's like an actress. Mm slash I don't know what she does these days but she she created this diet called it was like intuitive fasting so it's giving people the illusion that it's like intuitive eating so to speak but it's like fasting and it really kind of annoyed me because she's using this platform of like hundreds of millions of people to promote this nonsense meanwhile like what I explain to people is that I fast every night when I go to sleep I don't eat and when I wake up then I eat so I'm fasting for at least like 10 hours a day so So you see people like forcing themselves to only eat through a certain window of time. And I just find that to be very disordered. And so like for me, like I'm not that hungry in the morning. That's just like how I am. So like I won't eat until like 10 o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. So if I eat dinner at like six, you know, that's like a long time, so to speak. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I'm not forcing myself to do it. It's just like naturally like what feels good for me. But if you're forcing yourself to only eat within a certain time frame, your body doesn't just like magically burn more calories or it doesn't like at one time I had someone message me saying that, like, does it have like anti-aging properties? And I'm sure someone can find a study somewhere at some point in time that shows X, Y and Z. But like it's just disordered, like don't eat when you go to sleep and then eat when you wake up 
when you start to feel hungry. Like it's not that serious. You know what I mean? I think mainly, you know, there's all sorts of crazy diets out there. They're like juicing. And like, I think there's something called Prolon, which is promoted by physicians, which is very terrible. A lot of physicians promote a lot of these like packaged diet, very 800 to 1000 calorie a day kind of things. And they make a lot of money off of it. And because it's coming from a physician, you would assume that it would be like helpful, but like doctors are very smart in many areas, but nutrition is not their strong point. Like they get less than an hour of nutrition in medical school. So they should not be giving any nutrition advice. And, uh, you know, when they're recommending doing these crazy, like very restrictive low calorie diets for the sake of quote unquote health, it's very scary that it's coming from someone that like you're supposed to trust. And they don't, they really don't understand the implications that it has on like the mental and physical well-being and also losing weight very quickly is very bad for your body composition your body doesn't just selectively lose fat it loses muscle mass and we know muscle mass is really important for a lot of things but if your goal is to like lose weight you're just going to slow down your metabolism because your muscle mass is more metabolically active than your fat mass so when you're losing fat and and your muscle mass you're just screwing up your metabolism even more Mm, that's really interesting I didn't realize that yeah you know so when people are like oh I started this diet and I lost like 15 pounds it's like water weight maybe two pounds of it is fat and then there's muscle loss and so that's why you see in individuals who have lost a significant amount of weight they have significantly damaged their metabolism because oftentimes you know if you're not eating enough protein and you're not lifting weights it's just so it's so complicated and so you know it's not as like cut and dry like there's this dietitian out there who promotes a certain low carb diet and she claims that, oh, if you're eating X amount of protein, then it's going to preserve your muscle mass. But like when you take certain classes and you learn about like the biochemistry of like how food is broken down and how food is metabolized in the body, like your body wants to use glucose, which is like what mostly everything is broken down into as its main fuel source. That's what your brain uses. That's what all your cells use. That's what your body needs to like function. So if you're eating like super low carb, your body isn't just going to say, okay, we're just going to use fat for energy. It's actually very metabolically taxing on the body to break down fat, like the actual process. So it would actually prefer breaking down your own muscle mass. It's easier to convert muscle mass. There's a way for it to turn it into a source of like a carbohydrate source in a sense, gluconeogenesis. But you know, it's not as cut and dry as like you're in a calorie deficit and then your body burns fat. Like it doesn't, it's not so like cut and dry. So that I think that's like another thing that a lot of people may believe from like social media or, you know, just diet culture in general. That's kind of like how with like calorie counting, it assumes that like if you exercise and you lose like 300 calories, then like you're losing 300 calories from like your food, which is like, it's not that black and white. It doesn't work like that. A hundred percent. And one of the reasons why, even when I was promoting weight loss, like intentional weight loss, I never had any of my clients count calories because whatever those formulas are, like they don't matter because they have nothing to do with what you're currently eating. Right. Mm. So let's say you're currently eating 
2,400 calories a day. I'm just making up a number. And then you're, you know, you, you cal, you know, you use whatever the calculation might be to get an estimation, right? And it tells you that you should be eating 1,600 calories a day. That's a significant decrease each and every day. So in theory, if you wanted to like lose weight, you would just have to eat like a few hundred calories less a day. So like 200 calories less. So you could eat 2,200 calories a day, but it goes to such a low range where people feel like deprived or, you know, it's, it's not always as easy as just like sticking to a certain number of calories or like Weight Watchers, like they count points because it doesn't take in the emotional impact that food has on you. And it doesn't take in a, into account like your own experience when it comes to food. A lot of people have a lot of disordered, like a very disordered history of their relationship with food because of their family or growing up or they struggled with their weight growing up and things like that. So it's like so many different things come into play. So just cutting calories doesn't solve what all of those underlying issues are. Yeah, I feel like that's really important for the listeners to remember. Friendships and relationships with other people have been identified as like a key source of body beliefs and um, where you get your dieting norms from. So they can either emphasize diet culture or they can like teach you healthy ways to eat and things like that, which is like naturally you're going to be influenced by what the people around you are doing. So in saying this, um, I asked the listeners on Instagram at the start of the week if they had any food myths that they needed debunked or any advice from Eleni about some food habits that you've been taught that maybe aren't the healthiest. So I'm going to read them out now. So the first question is, lately there's been a lot of debate around dairy with people saying that it's extremely unhealthy and it can even leach calcium from your bones. From your perspective as a dietitian, is dairy actually bad for you? I would say false, 150%. The only people that I would say should watch their dairy intake are those that have lactose intolerance. So meaning that like they literally don't have the enzyme that's used to break down dairy. So they experience gastric uh, upset stomach, diarrhea, you know, things like that, cramping, bloating, gas. Dairy in my clinical experience is not inflammatory or anything like that. And cutting it out is not going to like magically make you lose weight. Mm. So like calcium and vitamin D are two very important nutrients and including dairy in a well-balanced diet is very healthy. And like a little fun fact about dairy for me is that before going into my nutrition science course, I watched a documentary called What the Health? Um, and oh. I <laughs> I watched it not knowing that it was like a biased documentary made by yeah. people who are trying to promote veganism. So they got really biased sources and things like that. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. So the documentary was saying how like, yeah, so many, so much of our population is lactose intolerant. Riddle me this. If that that's the case. How can we be meant to eat dairy and things like that? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you look at different populations all across the world and people consume dairy from goats. Like I'm part, I'm half Greek. And like, we have a lot of like cheese and stuff made from goat's milk, like feta cheese is made from goat's milk. So like personally, like I don't, I prefer like non-animal dairy sources. So like I prefer almond milk to regular milk, but that's just like a preference. And like, I personally don't like to consume a lot of animal products just like out of preference, not for like any other reason 
then that's just like what I like and things like that. But I find that people like really demonize dairy, especially in the PCOS population, women with polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard um, a lot about it. Some people have not, but it's like a metabolic and hormonal um, disorder found in women of childbearing years. And for some reason in the Instagram community, like they demonize gluten and dairy for absolutely no reason. So it's insane. I don't know. They just cherry pick people's personal experiences. And I would like everyone to like your listeners to recognize that someone's personal experience is not like research. Like just because you experienced something like you lost weight doing something or you ate something and it made you feel a certain way does not mean that you could like generalize it to everyone else. Like that's just like your own experience. So like putting it out on social media, just like influencers saying like, yeah, I cut out dairy and now I'm not bloated anymore. Like that could have been for like a million other different reasons that have nothing to do with dairy. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah, especially with the gluten thing, like correct me if I'm wrong, but we learned that the only reason that gluten would be bad for you is if you have like celiac disease. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it frustrates me so much when I see people without celiac disease saying like, oh, I had this gluten-free meal. It's like, but why? Like gluten isn't even bad for you. No, a hundred percent. Unless if you have gluten sensitivity where like you really are experiencing severe gastric symptoms and or celiac because there's some people who don't have full-blown celiac, but they can tolerate some gluten. Really just depends. I've had like patients that have both, but like it's not bad for you. It's not inflammatory. It doesn't make you magically gain weight if you eat it or lose weight if you cut it out. People have been eating like pasta and bread and everything for like millions of years and they're fine. So it's just like more of diet culture nonsense. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for guesting. I had a really nice conversation with you today and I feel like you really brought to light some really important messages and topics. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. Thank you again so much to Eleni. I hope you guys appreciated her insight as much as I did. You can find her on Instagram at all.bodies.nutrition. Eleni also has her own podcast called All Bodies Nutrition, which is all about helping women break free from diet culture and heal their relationship with food. I highly recommend it and you can find the links to these in the show notes along with the resource Eleni recommended, which helps with intuitive eating. Stay tuned for part two of my conversation with Eleni where she can continues to give her responses to questions from the halfway community as well as helpful suggestions on how to break free from toxic diet culture habits. If you haven't already heard, Instagram unfortunately deactivated the halfway Instagram account. I'm really not sure why and I was hoping it would be back up by now, but it's not. So I've created a backup account at Halfway the Podcast 2, which you can find from the links in the show notes. And if you like, you can go ahead and follow that account where I'll be posting the usual episode updates, TikToks, informative content, and so much more. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you in two weeks.